0: Good morning. Will you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I uh, obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Your joy will overflow. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Turn this on. There we go. Praise God. Thank you so much for reading the scripture. Uh, We want the Word to speak first, and thank you so much for presenting it to us. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, We are wrapping up our sermon series uh, that we've been kind of going through the book of John called uh, Abide. And if you've been uh, with us, we've been examining this idea uh, of how powerful and beautiful the Word of God is and and what does it look like to uh, enter into a lifestyle where we don't just read the Word or visit it, but we live in it. Uh, I, I love this scripture from Jeremiah 1516. Uh, Jeremiah, who had a very rocky, turbulent life, uh, lots of ups and downs, uh, says this at a high point in his life, uh, in Jeremiah 15:16, "Your words were found, and I ate them." And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And and that's really our heart, is that when we would look at the word, that the word wouldn't necessarily just be an appetizer, but it would be the main thing. Uh, that we wouldn't just kind of like... Um, nibble at it, but we would devour it, that, that we would actually place ourselves before it in such a way uh, that we have this experience that Jeremiah has, that as he sat before the word and as he lingered before the word, that, that it produced a sort of joy in his heart, the way that sitting before your favorite pastry or favorite dessert or favorite meal brings this sort of joy to your heart as you begin to eat on it and, and feast on it. The, God's word has that exact same power, but oftentimes, as we've been discussing. Is that we don't allow ourselves to stay, to remain, to abide. We live very hurried, fast-paced lives. And so instead of settling for this full-course meal that the Scriptures offer, we're just like quick drive-through, get something into my system, and then move on to the next thing. But God's Word is far more powerful than that. It's far more satisfying and it deserves our attention because God speaks through his word. God communicates to us through his word. And if I'm talking about the word a lot, it's because I love the word. The word is powerful. Uh, And so this morning we are closing out our series discussing one very powerful idea, actually three, uh, three rhythms of abiding. Uh, more on that in a minute, uh, but to do that, we are going to look at John chapter fifteen. Uh, so, if you need a Bible, we have Bibles for you. so go ahead and shoot up your hand uh, if you didn 't bring a Bible with you and you would like to look at the scriptures we 're going to have our team uh, pass out Bibles and, and you can look at the scriptures with us if you don 't own a Bible that 's uh, our gift to you. You can take it home with you, keep it, use it, devour it, look at it, um, and, and, and find joy begin to fill your heart as you begin to feast on this. Word. Uh, John chapter 15. It's towards the, uh, the, the middle of the Bible in the New Testament. You'll see Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, and then the book of John. And we're gonna look at chapter 15, verse nine through 13, one more time. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to than someone lay down his life for his friend. So we're going to be discussing three rhythms of abiding, three movements of abiding with the Lord. Number one, slowing down. Number two, walking with. Number three, moving towards. If you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so. Number one, slowing down, walking with moving towards. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much for this gathering, this great assembly of the saints. Lord, thank you for the gift that uh, you've given us in allowing us to gather as family. Uh, Lord, we praise you that your word says that that when we gather together, you inhabit our praises, that when we seek you together, uh, that you are in our midst. And so whether we feel you or not, we know and we trust that you are here with us transforming us from one degree of glory to another. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm in point one, slowing down. Uh, I I, I tried hanging out with some Baptists this week so I could get all these on the first letter, but I I, I couldn't. You know, I just said I couldn't do it. This is what we got. It's a little bit more accurate, and we're going with it. Uh, So slowing down. Uh, Let's look at verse nine. Uh, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, Abide in my love. So the one true God, uh, the God of the scriptures, is described as existing in three persons. It's what we call the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this relationship is so mysterious because uh, the workings of it, the three in one, we just don't really have a way of conceptualizing it or comprehending it. And so we call it the Trinity, three in one. And these three persons for eternity have existed Existed in a perfect relationship of loving one another. Uh, There is no earthly love uh, that compares to this type of relationship. This is perfect love. The love the Father expresses towards the Son and the Son expresses towards the Spirit, and then this, you know, cycle happening all at once for eternity, nothing like it exists. Uh, Nothing can interrupt this union. It is perfect, complete love. And this love has been happening. Before time began, Uh, it is the default setting for the triune relationship, selfless, sacrificial, perfect love. Now, why am I drawing attention to this? The reason why is because love is foundational to the Christian experience. Uh, And the degree to which we believe we are loved by God will influence our desire to abide in his love. Uh, The second reason I'm pointing this out is because what Jesus is describing is so countercultural, so radical, so frustrating to some parts of his audience and so liberating and mind-blowing to others. Uh, What do I mean? Well, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What? Jesus is saying... That with the same love that he's been loved by is the same love he extends to you. The same perfect love that is full and complete and exists and is the foundation for the way the Trinity interacts with one another. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is now the same love that has been opened up and extended to you. Uh, This idea is crazy when we see Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus is being baptized, a voice from heaven comes out, which is the Father, and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The pleasure of God toward the Son, for simply being a son, is the pleasure that is now extended to all those who become sons and daughters through faith. Uh, Take a moment to consider how radical and controversial this would have been for these first century Jewish audience. Jesus, a man, a carpenter, uh, who we know is the God man, says that God loves him perfectly and completely. The highest experience and the highest quality of love that can be experienced. And now he's saying this love can be yours if you connect to me. God the father loves God the son that that makes sense we we understand that but God the son now gives us the same love that he's being lavished with Uh, this moment we read as ordinary because we're just so used to throwing out statements like God loves you and we're so used to being familiar and dancing around with this subject of love this love that love you But this moment was far from ordinary. It was jaw-dropping. Why? Because God the Father, who perfectly loves God the Son, is now extending that love through the Son to people who are not God. To the ordinary. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Come experience this relationship. To the common. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Come get in on this love. To the poor, to the undeserving, to the suffering who think they're suffering because God doesn't love them, to children, to men, to women, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The unconditional love that the father bestows on his son is now the same love that Jesus is making available to those who are connected to him by faith. And faith unlocks a love experience that is nothing like this world has to offer. And Jesus says, abide in this love. Remain in this love. Abide means to remain in, in the same place over a period of time, to stay. And the idea is that we have a propensity to not stay, to not remain. Uh, this is true now more than ever. Uh, instead of staying and remaining, we move all the time. Uh, we go from House to house, we go from relationship to relationship, we go from city to city, we start a new job and back to our loved ones, this is such a great job and the people are awesome and then we leave that job because it's ultimately not satisfying and relationships have soured. We're always moving. We move from Facebook to Instagram to TikTok to Snapchat, back to Facebook, back to Instagram, back to Snapchat, back to Instagram. That's just me minus the Snapchat because uh, I'm older, but not really. Uh, We move from one intrusive thought to another. We move from resolving one anxious moment to replaying another in a moment, in a matter of moments. We move from doubt to doubt. Does God love me? Does anyone love me? We move from fear to fear. We're always moving. And I'm not saying that moving and going is all bad, but the temptation is this. The temptation is to lead such busy lives that we completely neglect God Or we ask him to match our pace of life instead of submitting to his. And what's God's pace? Abide. Stay. Remain. It is a slowed down way of being with Jesus. It is the opposite of hurry. And how do I know this? Because Jesus is talking about agricultural stuff. And uh, I'm no agriculturalist, as you can tell by my use of the word, but I do know that plants and seeds and things that grow in soil take time. Plant and fruit and stuff that's planted in soil, the seed takes time. Stuff that is planted in soil grows best when the seed remains, when it stays, when it's not going anywhere. And the idea here is that the Father wants us to be so planted in Jesus that he begins to grow fruit and cultivate Christ-likeness in the soil of our lives because we are connected to him. Uh, and he wants us to experience this profound sense of love, a deep experience of joy and, and peace that produces an unexplainable patience and kindness towards others and a self-control that is non-anxious and life-giving. This is the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about. And so when Jesus says abide, church, hear me. This is the language of invitation. This is Jesus saying, come find in me what the rest of the world can't produce. This isn't transactional. This is the language of relationship, invitation. Jesus is called to remain, to stay, to abide is not a forceful command. It is a graceful invitation into relationship. It is an invitation to slow down and place ourselves under the never ending flow of God's love. It is an invitation to jump into his river of his presence and let him carry us to places that hurry will never get us to. It is an invitation to not just look at this river, but place yourself in the water, stay there and remain there. Remain long enough to let God's presence erode the bitterness in your heart. Remain there long enough to let his presence strip away false identities and insecurities. Remain there long enough to let his river of grace carry away pain and disappointment. Remain there long enough to let his river form your heart the way a river forms the land that it flows through. Abiding means slowing down to be with Jesus. Second, abiding means walking with Jesus. Let's look at verse 10 and 11 as we unpack this second point. Walking with. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Whoa, wait, hold up. I I thought you just said abide. Remain, receive. This sounds a little transactional. Uh, now I have to, to do stuff, keep keep commandments? I thought it was just about receiving, not, not, not doing. Jesus, you're asking me to do stuff. Dallas Willard, great theologian, says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. Look at this. We don't pursue obedience to earn God's love. We pursue obedience to experience God's love. And that in our pursuit of obedience, as we begin to do the stuff Jesus did, we experience the life of Jesus and we open up our hearts to to experience more and more of the Father's love. So when Jesus says, keep his commandments, it's not a command to restrict you and give you a list of things to do so that you can do right by God and then get in on his love. No, no, no. When Jesus says, keep my commandments, it is an invitation to experience his love, not earn it. And what the enemy will do is that the enemy will tell you that the best behaved version of yourself is the one that's most loved by God that the version of yourself that can keep the commandments well and do right by God, that's the person that will be most loved by God. And then the danger there is that you'll try, you'll find yourself performing for God to try to get something that Jesus has already died to place inside of you. And then the other end of that spectrum is being so disappointed with God because you brought him your best behaved version of yourself, hoping he would give you your best and you found nothing. So what's the point in pursuing obedience? If the destination isn't what we thought it would be, could it be that we got off course somewhere? It is vital that we understand this truth. We don't begin the pursuit of obedience to God's commandments from a place of rejection. We pursue obedience to God from a place of acceptance. We don't pursue God from a rejected place. We pursue God from an accepted place. And there's a difference because what this means is that you no longer have to strive to be the best version of yourself so that others can think highly of you and God can welcome you into his family. Rather, while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you to bring you into his family. And it had nothing to do with your performance and everything to do with his. We don't obey for acceptance, we obey from acceptance. How do I know this? Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 3 through 10. I'm just going to read all of it in its glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, in love before the foundation of the world. I wasn't there, but there was no foundation. The scripture says And before any of this came into existence, he set you apart, saw your life and brought you into his family. And it had nothing to do with what you would grow up to become. It had everything to do with those two words in love. He set you apart. He called you and brought you into his family, not off of your performance, but his grace. He predestined us for adoption. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption, not through our efforts. Redemption, not through our earnings. Redemption, not through our best experiences. Redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, the idea is uh, in, in the uh, Greek is this grace upon grace. It's like it's, it's you're drowning in grace, and then he drowns you even more. You you just can't even get a word out. You can't even move. It's just all consuming grace that he lavished upon you generously. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, things in heaven and things on earth. This right here is what makes the great theological doctrine of adoption so glorious. That God adopts us, brings us into his family. And what connects us to his his family? Our faith in the one who does the adopting. John 1 John four three thirteen uh 1 John chapter four verse thirteen through nineteen would say it this way By by this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him by this love is perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Why am I spending so much time in Scripture? Because we need to get these words of God in our hearts, and as we begin to solidify our lives and secure ourselves in his love, we'll find ourselves building our lives on a firm foundation that can't be shaken by the love that we're not receiving out there by the love that that we're not receiving in the relationships or in the career or in our pursuits. Why? Because we have found a love that ultimately satisfies and fulfills and can't be taken away because it was given by God, not based on our performance or action, but purely his grace. God the Father adopts those who place their faith in God the Son because the Son has died to bring us into the family of God. And what is our natural response to being so richly loved and experiences love? Love God back. And then loving God back becomes a delight, not a duty, because it's relationship. In other words, obedience springs from love and is a response to love. We don't pursue obedience to earn God's love. We pursue obedience as a response To his love and we experience more and more of his unending love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So this is what's so incredible. Jesus shows us that walking in holiness and walking in obedience to the father is a joyful experience. I'm laughing inside because I didn't believe that growing up because I thought that walking in obedience and pursuing God is stuff that boring people did. And I thought it was restrictive and that God was holding out. But what Jesus shows us is that obedience to him and walking in holiness is far more life giving than anything this world has to offer. In other words, the foundation of Jesus' joy is his obedience to the Father. What is the foundation of your joy? Is it pursuing what this world has to offer, doing things your way, ruling and reigning over your life, or letting King Jesus lead your life and submitting to his way of living and then experiencing his joy that comes from obedience to him? Jesus says that those who walk with him and become more like him will have the same, the same experience of joy that he has when he walks in holiness and obedience to the father. Uh, Christian artist, Kevin Burgess, also known by his stage name, KB, uh, one of my favorite theologians, and and he is a theologian, uh, says this in, in a conversation on pursuing holiness. Built into every command from God is a fence to protect your joy, your sanity, your happiness, and your humanity. Built into every command that God gives us to be obedient to him it, it, it is a fence to protect you. To protect your joy, to protect your sanity, to protect your happiness, and to protect your humanity. And so when Jesus gives us the law or calls us to be obedient to his commands, it's not to restrict us and get us to, you know, uh, submit to him in a very authoritative way. No, it's to protect us. It's to give us life. It's to save our lives. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Uh, What is this commandment? If we were to have a reference point, this is my commandment. Verse 13, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend. So let's look at verse 12 and 13 as we unpack our last point, moving towards. So notice these movements of abiding that we've been unpacking. We are slowing down to be with God, unhurrying our lives to be present before his presence and let the good shepherd, the good gardener, cultivate our lives and bring fruit to our lives that we desperately wanna feast on that this world's pace can't bring. We are walking with Jesus, practicing obedience and becoming more like him. And notice this, as we are slowing down and walking with Jesus, this is what happens in verse 13. Jesus is moving towards others. Jesus is moving towards mission. Abiding moves us to the heart of God. And then we discover that God loves people and then he moves us towards them. It's this beautiful relationship that the more we commune with God and the more we abide with God, the more our heart syncs up with his and we discover that God loves people and that he'll use us to inform them about his love. Abiding moves us to the heart of God and there we discover God's love for people and he moves us towards them so that people would experience the love of God through us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How has Christ loved us, church? Where to begin? I know everybody in here has a a story of you experiencing God's radical, transforming love. That changed everything. Uh, Time would not permit for us to unpack all the wonderful ways that God loves us but there's three I want to lean in that, 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 that come out of this scripture. Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for you and that while you were actively rebelling against him, he never stopped pursuing you or thinking about you and he willingly died for you on the cross so that you could find life and freedom in him. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life that's on the other side of faith. Not on the other side of performing and earning and being the best version of yourself. And in the scripture later in this uh, chapter of John that we're reading, John fifteen thirteen: Greater love has no one than this. than someone lay down his life for his friends. This is obviously not an exhaustive list of God's love towards us, but these verses display two ways we've been loved, graciously and sacrificially. Generosity and sacrifice they go hand in hand. There are these two aspects of God's love that makes God's love so unique and so radical and so countercultural. Early church history shows us that, that this was a common practice and expression of love towards one another. Generosity and sacrifice. Nerd out with me. Julian the apostate was the Roman Emperor from 361 to 363, and he rejected Christianity, but in a letter that he's pinning uh, to the state writes this about what he sees it is a scandal that there is not a single jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor but for ours as well uh, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them this Roman emperor is saying it is a scandal that these Jews, these uh, that these Christians uh, give of themselves to the beggar, to the homeless, to the needy. And, and then they go beyond their own people to help their common enemy, the Romans who are oppressing them, and doing so in, in such a way that puts the Romans to shame. Sacrifice. Generosity. Abiding with God the Father and experiencing his heart for others moves you to love like him. And how does God love? He loves his enemies. He loves the least of these. He loves graciously and sacrificially. And the early church got a hold of this. And this was one of the the reasons why they were so distinct and able to uh, expand and grow. Uh, He's saying that these Christians are so good at loving that. This was the birthmark of a true follower of Jesus, love. And the way they love one another, uh, another early uh, Roman writer, uh, Minucius, uh, Minucius, Minucius Felix, once a pagan, later turned Christian and became one of the earliest Latin apologists, defenders of the faith. Uh, he said this, uh, commenting on the activity that's happening in Rome. He says, they love each other before they know each other. They love each other before they know each other, these Christians, this community of people that is being oppressed by the Romans and they're afflicted and thrown into lion's dens and, and being burned at the stake and experience all sorts of persecution, give of themselves so generously. And it's not based on uh, nationality or state, gender or race. They just love each other before they know each other could it be that abiding with jesus moves us to love generously and sacrificially and is our indication of our willingness to be generous and sacrificial may be reflected in how we've been abiding with jesus this is how christ loved us jesus says now go do that for others uh, but what if they don't love me back well, praise be to God that the love you rightfully desire can be found in Jesus. So now you can become free to love selflessly and sacrificially and see others experience freedom found in God's love. As Christ has loved us, now go do that for others. What if that person is difficult and they, and they make me feel a certain way? Well, let the Lord prune them. Or maybe let the Lord prune you to enable you to love difficult people. As Christ has loved us, now go do that for others. But what's, what's the point? I, I just end up getting disappointed and nothing changes. Here's the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus shows us that when others don't reciprocate our love or give us love, And he shows us that when our obedience doesn't produce the immediate fruit we desire, it doesn't diminish the quality of our life because our life isn't found in how quickly we can feast on the fruit of our obedience. It's not found in the outcomes of our obedience. It's found in being with Jesus and becoming more like him and God depositing a love and joy into our hearts that's completely independent of our obedience-based outcomes. And this type of living is not possible unless there's proximity to Jesus through his Holy Spirit living inside of us. Proximity matters. We need proximity to his empowering presence to love like Jesus. Examine your life. Examine those areas where it's difficult to love. That's not the Lord shaming you. It's an invitation to come abide in his love that he's already made available for you. Examine those parts where your heart is moved by bitterness and anger and disappointment and it seems like you can't be generous and you can't be sacrificial. That is not the Lord condemning you. It is an invitation to come jump in a river that heals, restores, and transforms. Come abide in him. Proximity to his empowering presence changes everything and we need proximity to love like jesus like wi-fi you need proximity to the router or it's not going to work and you're not going to be able to connect to the internet if you're not even in the vicinity like your bluetooth headphones you need proximity to the device for it to play the music and if your phone's on the other side of town and you have your headphones in proximity yeah you, you filled it in good Proximity to Jesus matters. If we are to become like Jesus and love like Jesus and move towards others like Jesus, we first need to be with him. And what we'll begin to see is that proximity to Jesus moves us towards the margins and mission. That our closeness to Jesus will take us there because that's where Jesus is. He is with the suffering. He is with the broken. He is with the poor. He is with the needy. He is with the afflicted. He is with the hurting. Are we with him there? Because that's where Jesus is moving. Proximity to Jesus moves us to love others, to love the people that he's placed around us, to love our friends, to love our families, to love our coworkers, to love our enemies, to love. That is where Jesus is moving towards. Are you with him? Proximity to Jesus moves us to live sacrificially and generously. God the Father sends God the Son to rescue us from sin, redeem us from slavery by purchasing our lives with his blood so that those who were lost to sin could be restored and those who were uh, separated and alienated could be brought into God's family and he places his spirit inside of us and gives us new life. And this new life is capable of slowing down, walking with, and moving towards. Let's reflect and pray.